I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Game Table! Welcome to another episode of The Game Table. I am Seamus Byrne. Thank you for coming back. Hopefully you've been waiting desperately for, for this episode because it is going to be a good one. We are going to round up all of the best cool things that happened over at Gen Con 2019, the show of shows for the tabletop scene, and joining me to talk about it. He was there. He's a big part of the gaming energy behind the scenes at Good Games Chain of Game Shops. So Jamie Lawrence, thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for having me on. Yeah, really, really good to have you here. Look, now, I I have three events left on my personal geeky bucket list. I've got Blizzard's BlizzCon, I've got San Diego Comic Con, and I have Gen Con. So you were there soaking up the vibe, seeing all the latest. So to kind of to start us off, what is the actual Gen Con experience like? You know, is it actually the ultimate tabletop fest that we all sort of dream it is? You know, before I ever went to Gen Con, I was a skeptic. I, you know, I thought, how could it possibly be as wonderful as everyone says it is? And then I went there and it actually is just the best four days that you can possibly have gaming. It's, it's quite amazing. The bottom line is that Gen Con, everyone's Gen Con experience is going to be different, but everyone is going to do exactly what they want to do because there's just so much there. The entire industry shows up in the one place to just let gamers be gamers, and it's it's phenomenal. It's one of the best times I've ever had in my life. I love it. And that's so good to hear. And, of course, the jealousy just sort of wells up a little bit more there as well. Um, <laughs> so, like, uh, from this year, Gen Con 2019, from the highlights I've seen, it really did look like it was a particularly good year. So, you know, we'll get to the cool things that you guys yourselves actually launched at the show, which seems pretty cool. But in the wider sort of sense, yeah, what were some of the cool things that caught your eye? So, look, the Gen Con is sort of divided up into one gigantic uh, expo hall where there's literally like 3,000 booths for different uh, publishers and and game producers at all sorts of levels uh, and people making, you know, uh, D&D accessories, all sorts of things. Everyone is there peddling their wares. Uh, and you can literally go around shopping and it will take you a solid day to just get through the hall. But uh, apart from that, there's also the event space. And, uh, and Gen Con literally takes over Indianapolis. There are maybe 13 or 14 different event locations around town in different hotels where you can go and hang out and do all sorts of things from seeing geeky movies to playing D&D or checking out the latest hot board games. Um, it's, it's phenomenal. There's everything. So when I talk about some of the cool things that I saw at Gen Con, uh, it has to be taken with the grain of salt that, you know, I was working in the event hall. So most of the stuff that I saw there, the exhibit hall, sorry. So most of the stuff that I saw there was what people were, were selling. Yeah, uh, cool. But I heard about some, some awesome stuff as well. And all of the big publishers have an event where they'll 
do their announcements and tell you what's coming up for the next year and that sort of thing. So um, a couple of the things that were, were really amazing was as soon as you walk into the hall, uh, the first thing that you see is uh, the the opening credits for a James Bond movie because uh, Upper Deck has uh, licensed James Bond for a, for a legendary card cool. game. Uh, so literally you, you walk in and there's this giant barrel of a gun that you can get uh, <laughs> get photos of yourself walking along and being James Bond inside. And then if you walk through there, it leads to their demo area and you get to play that the game. That is really cool. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty remarkable. People people go all out on the decorations at Gen Con. Um, there's uh, another another big thing was the uh, the Fantasy Flight Games booth. It's always gigantic. Uh, they're one of the biggest players in the industry. Um, and they have literally sort of five times the space of anyone else just filled with shop and demo space for people to try out the new games. They were demoing their – they've just announced that they got the Marvel license, and so they were showing off their new Marvel Miniatures game, uh, Crisis Protocol, and the new cooperative Marvel card game that they've got where you get to pick a hero, craft a deck around around that hero, and then go and face different villains, each of whom has their own sort of scenario deck, uh, and, and try and deal with them. It's, it looks like a really great fun game, and if you played the Arkham Horror card game, it's based on the same model, uh, and that, that's cool. Been, pretty phenomenal um the other big one yeah really cool the the other big one that, that stood out uh was uh, aeg uh Alderac entertainment games they're uh, they're another big player in the industry and they had uh, a very big booth that they would reskin each day with a different game that they were promoting so uh, literally it would change every time you walked into the hall which was uh, which was pretty oh, impressive. Wow. Yeah. They uh, they were focusing on one of their new releases called Ecos, which is a game all about uh, sort of trying to preserve animals in a wildlife enclosure, and uh, and it's out on the Serengeti. Um, looked looked really phenomenal. I didn't get a chance to sit down and play it, sadly, but really exciting game. Uh, and Gen Con as well is uh, it's really well known as a role playing convention specifically. So even though all the board game people are there and uh, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on, all the role playing people show up and and show off everything they've got. This year's big winner was uh, was Chaosium, who produced the Call of Cthulhu line of games. Uh, they got twelve nominations in the the annual Any Awards, which is the sort of role playing industry uh, awards ceremony, and they won all twelve categories <laughs> that they were in. So uh, pretty oh, exciting wow. stuff for them. <laughs> um, the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game is riding really high right now. If you've never tried Cthulhu, uh, it's basically 1920s investigators in a horror movie um, trying to work out a way to stop evil gods from outside time from destroying the world. Uh, it's <laughs> it's pretty good stuff, and uh, and they're doing really good work with it at the moment. They've also picked up Seventh Sea, which is the, the premier sort of pirate game uh, in the role-playing space. And uh, and they were showing that off as well. The designer John Wick is a he's a big crowd favorite at Gen Con, and he was there, you know, pressing the flesh and telling everyone about all the things that are coming up. So that was really cool. There was also uh, a little game uh, from about thirty years ago, getting a new edition called Cyberpunk. Uh, and I think if you're up on on the geek news, then you probably associate the name with Keanu Reeves by now. Uh, but uh, the role playing <laughs> game. Uh, Cyberpunk has been around since just after D&D, pretty much. And uh, they launched a new box set uh, to start it off with some new rules. 
which they sold out over a thousand copies of it at Gen Con, which is it's huge news for them. So uh, that's Artel Sorian Games, and I'm think you're going to be hearing the name again pretty soon. There was also uh, a little company named Good Games Publishing uh, that had a booth there, and uh, I was part of that, and it was pretty cool. Uh, we were debuting a couple of games. We've we've published a couple in the past. Uh, but we had a new one called Fluttering Souls, which is a two-player butterfly collection game, uh, and a trick-taking game called Fairy Season, uh, where you're goblins going into the forest to collect fairies, shake them down for their fairy dust, and make your winter brew with it. So um, <laughs> those games great. did really well. We were really happy. Uh, it's it, it's a lot of fun, and it's a great little trick-taking game you can play with kids. Um, Fluttering Souls also sold out at the con, which we, we were just amazed at. Uh, it sort of blew us away how, how well-received this game was, but it's got it's really beautiful. Uh, the butterfly art it's done by a local Western Australian tattoo artist. Oh, wow. <laughs> we saw it and loved it and put it in the game, and everyone else has loved it too. So uh, it's been pretty good for us. We had the designer of the game, Joel Lewis, over there with us. We, we took him over to Gen Con, and he was signing people's copies of, ga- of the game and showing them how to play, and it was great fun. Man, that's awesome. Like, oh, such a good, it really does. It sounds like that there were so many different aspects. I had missed um, the Cthulhu part of the show and, you know, here the chaosm kind of cleaned everything up is is amazing. I'm like, I, I can't remember what edition of Cthulhu I still have sitting on my shelf, but it's from the 90s. Um, <laughs> like, what edition are we up to now and sort of where, like, what what are kind of the features of, I guess, the rule set today? So the current edition is 7th edition, uh, which is, it's actually a really nice clean system. So all of your all of your stats and skills um, are measured as a percentile, a percentage out of 100. And basically, when you need to make a check, you roll 2d10, one of them being 10s, one of them being 1s, and you're trying to get lower than your skill uh, to, uh, to succeed. And anything you succeed at during the session... Uh, you'll get to make a roll at the end to see if that improves by rolling. You've got you've got to roll over your skill. So obviously, the the better you are at something, the harder it is to improve. But the better you are at something, the easier it is to complete cool. the task. Uh, it's uh, the, the latest edition of books is so beautiful as well. They've they've really gone all out on showing you everything from the, the you know the the vast cosmic horror to just the the subtleties of a, a crime scene. Uh, you know, some of the scenario books actually have really detailed maps and images and handouts that you can give your players. It's a really very immersive storytelling game where you're you're doing more investigation than combat because if you try and fight these monsters, they will usually kill you. It's like a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I always remember an old piece of art uh around yeah, Cthulhu and it was yeah, the fact that like the, the grandma was the person who was the 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 best at escaping the horrors that were presented to them while like the jock <laughs> guy was the one who actually got caught. <laughs> it's a, one of the other things that is really cool about that system is that if there's a skill you want that isn't in the game, you can literally just make it up uh, and be good at that thing. So for example, um, I once played a game where we were, it was set in I think 1917 and the great war had just ended, but we were all people on the home front. So I decided to play a, like an, an old in his 80s cowboy uh, who, who you know was no longer on the ranch anymore and uh, wasn't a cowboy anymore but uh, but he you know had some some roping skills and uh, 
and was really good at uh, sort of muscling people around, pushing them, pushing them specifically. So, you know, I literally had, uh, you know, wrangling as a skill, uh, which <laughs> wasn't a thing that was in the book, but it's a thing that you can do. And it was a thing I did a lot. That's awesome. Um, also, I, alongside uh, Cyberpunk, um, I, I saw that I think there was a new Shadowrun edition that was sort of being previewed there. So um, I'm kind of excited because, again, both of those were games that I played a lot of in my sort of you know, prime years of being a university kid during the 90s. Um, and so, I, like, it's just really, yeah, exciting to see sort of both of those worlds kind of seeming like they're ready to blossom again. There's a real sense of rising tides lifting all boats at the moment. Uh, you know, the expansion of, DN- of Dungeons & Dragons into the main- mainstream space in recent years really is allowing all these other games that have been wonderful for, for generations you now, and we're seeing them all come back and uh, and have a resurgence now. So apart from, you're right, there was, there was the Shadowrun box set there. Uh, they've announced that next year there's a Battletech box set coming. Uh, Paizo had Pathfinder Second Edition that they launched this year. Um, there was uh, oh, there was another Vampire Vampire the Masquerade has come back, and uh, they're talking about bringing back all the rest of the old White Wolf games like Werewolf and Mage. So um, yeah, it's look it's fantastic times, and these IPs that have existed for years, and I guess in a similar way to the way that Marvel and DC, you know, now are riding high in the box office because finally there's a way to visualize and communicate their stories to the the mass public you know similar in a similar way now that people have accepted dnd and we're not getting you know beaten up for playing it in the library um it's uh, it's become accepted and and so people are willing to open their minds to some of these other stories and these other settings uh for playing in that have been so influential to us as gamers over the years but you know now are making it into the the mainstream I guess Shadowrun's a great example as well because, you know, you saw things like uh, the Netflix the Netflix film with Will Smith, um, where the the humans and orcs are working side by side. Um, bright, bright, yes, thank you. <laughs> um, you know, for them to make that movie, for, that, for just for them to make that movie, whether it was good or bad or indifferent, is an epic leap forward in terms of uh, different storytelling to what we're used to. And uh, it was really exciting, you know, as a fan of Shadowrun, to see part of that world visualized. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah. And look, I think another thing worth touching on with uh, Marvel Champions, I think in particular, is the the living card game style. Because I know I I did Mm -hmm. really enjoy playing Netrunner um back in, you know I, I wish i'd played more of it you know i i own a bunch of it i didn't get to play it as much as i would have liked but i love that sort of idea where you know i guess a different structure to the card game right where you know okay i'm going to buy a pack of cards i know exactly what i'm getting i build decks based on you know just getting chunks of cards from this set so it, like i don't know did you see anything around sort of 
because I remember Netrunner was kind of an asymmetric sort of a system. Is Marvel Champions some kind of like heroes versus villains thing or is there some other sort of structure to how they've, they've framed uh, that new game? Yeah, so living card games have, have grown and evolved significantly since they were introduced with, uh, oh, it wasn't Netrunner, I think it was... I think it was Star Wars was the first one before Netrunner, maybe. But but anyway, since they're introduced, they've grown significantly and really changed and played with the format. So a few years ago, they came out with the Lord of the Rings living card game, which was the first cooperative uh, card game where you were building and crafting your own deck. Uh, and again, as you said, you're not you, there's no random cards. It's uh, you buy a packet and you get everything. Uh, and and in Lord of the Rings, everyone was you know playing a character from Tolkien's world and going on a quest together and trying to defeat a certain, you know, ad- adversary or bad guy played by the game itself. There was no one who had to be the bad guy player. Uh, and then they, they've evolved that since then with the Arkham Horror card game, which we were talking about Cthulhu before. It plays in that whole world. Uh, so your 1920s investigators battling against scenarios that are set up by the game uh, that are parts of a, a larger mystery you're trying to track down and stop one of one of the Cthulhu deities from destroying the world, and now this the Marvel Champions one is in the, again in that model. Uh, what they've done with it this time that makes it really interesting is that there's a core set that'll have a few scenarios in it and a few heroes, and you'll get full decks constructed for those heroes, and you can customize them a little bit. But then every time they do a release, rather than releasing a generic pack. Uh, that has you know some bad guys and some good guys cards in it. What they're doing is all of the bad guys are a full scenario on their own. So if they release the Green Goblin pack, that's going to have the Green Goblin, several adventures connecting to the Green Goblin, and you'll be able to play several different games against the Green Goblin with different teams of heroes. They'll also at the same time release hero packs. So you might be able to get a Miss Marvel pack that has Miss Marvel's deck in it and Miss Marvel's card in it. And the cards inside that deck can be used with other heroes as well, and you'll want to chop and change as you go. But you basically get a fully constructed, ready-to-go Miss Marvel deck when you buy that packet. And if you decide you want to play, you know, She-Hulk against Carnage, well, you can do that. If you want to play Captain America and Iron Man battling against... Uh, I'm trying to pull other Marvel villains here. Baron Zemo, then you can. <laughs> So yeah, it's, it looks like it's a really interesting system of buying buying the different bits that you want and plugging them together, uh, rather than an ongoing story necessarily, or uh, just a big mess of cards that uh, you mess around with against your friends. <laughs> uh, that, that's yeah, that sounds awesome. So back to kind of what you guys are releasing, I'm curious how you actually, you know, it's such a big event. You know, what do you do to actually catch the eye of crowds when it's so busy? If I knew that, I would have sold a lot more games. <laughs> but um, the answer is, look, the, the answer is that it is so busy. There are so many people that you're, you really want to strongly brand yourself. You want to say what you're there and what, you, what you're there about and what you're doing. So our booth was, was uh, two booth spaces wide, uh, which is about six meters. Uh, we sort of, had a big backdrop that had uh, these gorgeous butterflies that I talked about. And also we've got some really beautiful art for our fairies in fairy season. So we had that running along the whole back of our booth. We were all dressed in, in shirts that had the art on it as well. You know, we, it was a very strong message that, you know, if you like butterflies and fairies, this is the place you want to be. And um, 
And apart from that, a lot of it is about talking to the media and uh, and specifically catching the eye of uh, reviewers and influencers within the uh, the board game space because literally everyone at Gen Con who's made the trip, uh, you know, it's not it's not the sort of thing that just local people are just going to rock up to much. It's uh, it's very much a, a pilgrimage for for gamers around America and the world, I suppose. So those people usually have done their homework. They've had a look at what sort of games they're into. Um, and so we we try to get a lot of cut through and talk to as much of the media as we can to say, hey, you know, we're here. We've got this game. It's going to appeal to these people. If you're one of those people, maybe you should come check us out. Yeah, I, I mean, you're right. It's like everybody who's walking past is they're, they're keen to find something. And so that's probably at least, you know, you're in a, a well-selected uh, market. of There might be a lot of people but and a lot of stuff, but... Everyone is keen, and I know uh, from a photo. I think it must have been uh, uh, Brian Holland's uh, bag, or, or you know, the stuff he brought back. I got that clear feeling that uh, when he went over, he went with a very empty bag in order to buy everything he laid his eyes on. <laughs> I, I absolutely packed one suitcase inside another bigger suitcase when I went over there, and I think that's the way that most people do it. And in fact, if you have a look uh, at hashtag GenCon Hall, I'm pretty sure you, you see zillions of photos where people have taken you know all of their gen con purchases together it's very much a thing uh to to show off all the amazing stuff that you got and one of the wonderful things about gen con as well is that there's some quite there's a lot of small publishing uh groups there it's not just you know your big companies literally everyone who's got a cool thing takes it there so i ended up buying a whole bunch of uh, role-playing coasters um that are sitting on my table every session now. Um, there's all sorts of luxury dice companies, like Australia's Level Up Dice was there, but you know, there, there's there's a whole bunch of different ones. Uh, there's miniatures companies that you've probably never heard of who are making, I don't know, one-legged dwarf pirates. And um, there's all sorts <laughs> of different ways to just customize and personalize your hobby, uh, which, is, which is really lovely. And it's not at all what you... I guess, think when you first see the photos of all those giant booths with branded banners and that. Gen Con has a really strong community vibe uh, that everyone who who is making a thing or trying to, to make it in the industry is there and is showing you what they've got. And that's great because I feel like, um, you know, when, when I've been to events like uh, CES, you know, in the sort of uh, tech space and E3, um, you know, in the sort of video game space, a lot of those events, um, I get like they do end up being really the, the big stuff just kind of sucks all the energy into them, you know. Uh, and there's a lot of people paying for small booths at some of those events that I always feel bad for because it doesn't feel like, they're getting their value out of those events. But it seems like yeah, when it's something that's so community-minded, I guess, um, there's probably yeah, an awful lot of people who are specifically wanting to go and hunt those smaller booths and find cool things that that aren't just sitting in the biggest places around. So, that yeah, that sounds like a really good part of that show. It is a really nice little part of the culture. And, you know, I guess I don't know the video game industry well enough to, to make comment. But I feel like there's a difference in the scale of things. You know, over there, there's a certain number of design studios that you know when they're going to make an announcement. And you know that that announcement is going to be exciting and everyone's going to pay attention to it. It's the smaller the smaller press people that, I guess, maybe don't get as much of a look in over there, as you said. But in the board gaming industry, it's still 
the, the industry itself is still growing and still quite young comparatively. Uh, and I think it's a lot, not easier, but, but you get a lot of small press people who do have a hit game, who do show up with something surprising that everyone suddenly flocks to. Uh, one of the, one of the possibly best examples I can point to is a company named called greater than games who now are quite big, but they started at Gen Con six years ago with a game that they'd pretty much, it was two guys who'd come up with this game and scraped together cash and printed it uh, over in China and had it shipped over to America and had no idea about shipping. So they were just storing it in their garage until Gen Con. And then they drove it up in a trailer and it was called Sentinels of the Multiverse. And it is now one of the, uh, one of the biggest games in the industry. Uh, it's, it's sort of the premier cooperative superhero game that there is. Uh, so for them to now be, you know, a fairly big publisher and be taking on other people's designs and doing things all grew out of one Gen Con, uh, where they had this game that on day one, a bunch of people walked in and played and said, wow, this is great. And by day two, people were lining up around the block to get it. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> um, so were there anything other th- that kind of leaps out at you or any of the satellite event type things? I mean, it's, you know, I, it's funny to kind of think back on the origins of Gen Con as being, you know, Gary Gygax kind of rented a hall one time to catch up with some friends and play some games. Um, and then to hear that, you know, that, yeah, his his son Luke is kind of a bit of a celebrity around this scene because it's that whole hometown vibe. Um, yeah, but yeah, were there any sort of things that were around that perimeter of the culture itself that were really sort of part of the fun for you this year? Um, look, I mean, it's hard when you're going there for work. You don't necessarily get the chance to to have the full experience. There's <laughs> yes. some cool things that I did get to. Yeah, I know the feeling. Yeah, there, there were some cool things I did get to go around to and see. Uh, so. One thing is the the board game geek hot games room, uh, which takes up the entire uh, ballroom of uh, the Hyatt Regency in Indianapolis. Uh, so it's, I guess, if you're in Australia and you've been to uh, to an Australian con like uh, Oz Comic Con or um, or Supernova, you have an idea of the sorts of hall that they hold those cons in. Imagine that, but it's just tables for people to play board games at and a library for them to borrow games from. Uh, so it was, it's pretty amazing to literally walk through, you know, sort of a, a small football stadium-sized area where people are just playing tabletop games and learning new ones and showing them to each other. Uh, it's, it really is remarkable and sort of gives me, as someone who works in the industry, a real sense of validation and excitement to see that happening on that scale. Um, so that was really cool. There was uh, one of the things about Gen Con is that there's, there's a lot of industry parties going on around the place. So uh, you mentioned Brian before; he got to, he was at Critical Roles party while we were there. Um, I had a, a friend uh, who was who told me all about Peter Atkinson's party while he was there. Peter Atkinson is the uh, the, Gen, the CEO of Gen Con, uh, so we got to go to that. Um, there was uh, I, I went to a party with a few of the the big designers and um, and publishers as well. It's uh, it's very much a sort of networking social opportunity for everyone in the industry, which is which is pretty cool and exciting. Uh, but at the same time, these things, these events are happening, you know, in pubs and restaurants around town. So you've got the public literally just wandering by and going, "Hey, I know those people. They're famous." Um, it's it's a very interesting experience. Uh, for people who are in an industry where they, I'm guessing most of them don't feel terribly famous most of the time. Yeah, 
and the, yeah, it's it's out. Okay, yeah, you've uh, this whole discussion. I'm like, okay, yeah, one time, one year. This is definitely going to be one of those things. I I find a chance to uh, to do it. Um, lastly, beyond Gen Con, I'm curious just on a totally what's cool right now sense of in shops. You you help run shops. Uh, what's what's new that listeners should be on top of at the moment? <laughs> I am indeed the brand manager for Good Games, so uh, running shops is a thing that I do, yes. Um, but uh, look, at the moment, there's a few things to look out for. Uh, virtually everything we've just mentioned is going to be in stores in the next couple of months, uh, and people are already taking pre-orders and, and jumping up and down and making making noise about particularly Marvel Champions, I think is going to be huge. Um, if you haven't already given it a go there's a, a phenomenal game at the moment called uh called wingspan which is a sort of bird watching game uh it's it's by a very prolific designer in the industry jamie stegmeyer it's a, it's a very very good game it's out there at the moment and you can walk into stores and buy it oh, sorry i was just going to say i think it oh, also just won um the uh, one of the big uh, german awards uh for like game of the year i think did wingspan it did. It won the the critics' prize for Spiel der Jahr. Yeah. So so Spiel der Jahr, if you don't know it, is uh, sort of the board gaming industry's premier award. It's the Academy Awards for board games, uh, and uh, every year they have a the Spiel der Jahr's award itself. And then there's uh, there's the critics' prize, which is sort of the game that maybe isn't appropriate for the entry level Spiel awards, but uh, is something that they've really enjoyed playing. And Wingspan won that. Uh, so, yep, it's it's a pretty good game. <laughs> um, if you're a lapsed magic player, then there is a game floating around at the moment that uh, came out maybe two months ago called Res Arcana, which is the ex- entire experience of playing magic, but in one box, more or less, uh, and just so satisfyingly combo-buildy and mana-spendy and really, really exciting. I, I love it. It's from a... Another great designer named Tom Lehman, uh, who is probably most famous for Race for the Galaxy, which is another fantastic game. Uh, if you are a role player, then as I said, all of these uh, these games that we've talked about are coming in. You know, Cthulhu, Cyberpunk, uh, Shadowrun, all all happening soon. Um, honestly, my pick of the, of the bunch is Seventh Sea. Uh, if you if you can get a copy of it, it, it is a bit tricky to find at the moment, but I gather it's going back to print very soon. Uh, then, yeah, Seventh Sea, the pirate role-playing game, is just the best. It's one of the most fantastic times you will have rolling dice. Um, and otherwise, I mean, the nature of the gaming industry is that there is something new every week. You can literally walk into our stores and, you know, displays have changed. The staff will be talking to you about different things. There's new posters up week to week it's it's a very fast moving industry if you ever feel spoiled for choice well you're not alone um come and have a chat to us we'll help you out with finding something that works for you brilliant so for people who um want to find you guys on social or on the web uh yeah what are the best uh links and places that people can uh, track you down uh so i'm i'm well Goodgames.com.au is probably the best way to contact your local store, which is probably the best way to contact me, honestly. <laughs> um, but uh, 
I, uh, but I manage the accounts for uh, Good Games Australia on Facebook, for at Good Game Good Games Oz on uh, on Twitter, and also at Good Games Pub for Good Games Publishing, uh, and also we've got Good Games Australia on Instagram. Uh, we're we're all over the place, and any of those is a great way to get in touch with me if you want to know more about any of this stuff or Gen Con. You should totally go to Gen Con. Seamus, you'd love it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and and by all means, you know, drop me an email and I will try and help you out. Brilliant. Um, look, thank you again so much for giving us the rundown on Gen Con. And, yes, uh, the jealousy just is bubbling up, um, but the budget doesn't quite, uh, yeah, the, yeah, the budget doesn't quite match the jealousy right now, but maybe one day. Um, and, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll catch <laughs> up again uh, on another episode sometime soon. Looking forward to it. Thanks again, to Jamie Lawrence, brand manager at Good Games, for stopping by. And a further big thanks to Jamie and the whole Good Games family for looking after the game table with support for our first prize draw. As you no doubt know, we've had a comp running to kick things off and we asked you to tell us what your own game table means to you. I received some really, really fabulous entries thanks to everybody who participated it's been lovely hearing what some of you think and feel about how this this whole act of gathering together really sort of means. I've been busy judging entries to see who will get the prize. That package again is a copy of Ghosts of Saltmarsh, thanks to Wizards of the Coast, plus a copy of Acquisitions Inc., thanks to Good Games, plus an exclusive sticker sheet that I picked up at the Descent into Avernus D&D Live launch event in Los Angeles back in May. So to the winners, my top two. I'm going to flag two entries that I thought were really great. There can only be one, but the two favorite entries. One from Ramel Malian with a poetic take on the theme. A field of glory and conquest for the strong, the brave. A ruin for the unwary, the unprepared, the unfortunate. It is a field of battle. Nice. Thanks so much for that one, Ramel. And then my other favourite was from Ra C, who offered up two entries. I never said that that wasn't allowed. Both were lovely, each with quite a little kind of alternate bent on the question. The first one, the table proverbial. Our table is family. It's escape and antidepressant and finding new ways to cope. Our table is freedom and release, judgment-free. And her second entry, the table physical. We wrap around it like a group hug. It centers us, focuses us, it supports us while we laugh, cry, or gasp our last breath. Really, really cool entries. And the winning entry I am going with is, I'm, I'm trying to do like some snap drum roll. That was terrible. But anyway, uh, Rasi, I really love the proverbial entry. I think our tables are family. They're the family we get to choose. And when we find those groups we can just let go with and play judgment-free. It's a wonderful way to spend time together for fun, for healing, for connection. So thank you so much, Rasi, for that 
Entry. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Anyway, you'll get an email. You'll know it's you. And seriously, thanks again to you all. I think this show has so far reminded me so much of my love of tabletop. It's kind of been an excuse to think about the space more again after many years of being a journalist that spends most of my time focused on video games and consumer technology. And it's not taken long to feel that extra warmth and welcome that the whole sort of tabletop space offers once again. It feels like home. So please join me again next time. I'm going to be catching up with Zach and Luke from Live Play Podcast, I Speak Giant, about the history of the show, how they make it, and the fun that they're having now that they're partnering with official Dungeons & Dragons to preview Descent into Avernus content. Until then, may your crit rolls happen while everyone is watching. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,